I don't know what your holidays look like. I don't know what what traditions you have or the things that you look forward to when you have Christmas and New Year's season as, as we have just concluded. But in our home, one of the staples of the Aikens house is that there's a puzzle on our dining room table. Every holiday season, Laura gets a new puzzle. And it's always been my challenge and now has grown into my children's challenge to find the most difficult puzzle we can find for her to do over the holiday season. Here's a picture of Laura's holiday puzzle this year. It's a thousand piece of joy. Um, this is the completed work. And when I look at the puzzle this way, I like them. You know, it's a nice picture. And you base a puzzle, if you're going to do it or not, off the picture, right? And so when you take the time to put the puzzle together, you have a nice picture, the picture that you anticipated and wanted. But the beginning of the puzzle is a lot different. This next picture, this one causes great anxiety in my life. I see this, and I will not even begin with the puzzle. I'm not a puzzle person. I know some of you are, my wife obviously is, but this stresses me out. All these puzzle pieces piled together with no sense of order to them, and you know there's a picture somewhere in there, but you have to work at getting the picture put together. This stresses me out. I don't like this. Laura will spend, depending on the puzzle of course, will spend days if not hours just putting these pieces together, the patience of building a picture with the puzzle. And that's how we approach a new year in many ways, isn't it? We come to a new year, pandemic or not, we always come to this time of year where we change the calendar over and we have a bunch of puzzle pieces. We have a pile that can be, could be something. We see a calendar of, of hope of desire. And so we make goals and resolutions this time of year because we want better than what we had before. We want to accomplish things we couldn't the year before. And so we build resolutions and hope around what could be. We have these puzzle pieces. And in, in, in many ways, it stresses us out or it might stress you out like me. There's potential there, but it has to be worked at. It has to be put together. The, the pieces must be brought into focus so the picture can be put together. And we enter this new year hoping for something better or different, at the very least, than the year that we have experienced. And so we make those goals and we make those resolutions hoping towards something different. That's why we often say this time of year we're going to lose those pounds. We're going to finally take that trip that we've always wanted to take. We're finally going to go into a crowd without a mask this year. We, take the, we make these resolutions and these goals and these hopes and we see them before us because the picture can be anything, right? The puzzle pieces are there for us to put together. And so we look at them and we want and we desire and we hope. But this is also a double-edged sword this is also why we fail so often with our goals and our resolutions. And it happens so quickly. 
Most statistics will tell you that over 90% of our goals and resolutions that people make, 90% of us will fail within the first month of 2021. Why? Because we have a we have a pile of puzzle pieces that could be anything. And if we desire and hope for the picture that we that we are working towards, and the moment we realize the picture is not what it's going to be or what we hoped it would be, we grow frustrated. Some of us angry, some of us upset that the puzzle picture is not what we wanted. And so we move on. This, this is why Matthew chapter 3 is such an important passage of Scripture, especially for a church that is looking to study and to be into the Gospel of Matthew for quite some time. Because we've moved out of the Christmas story, the truth, the gift that is Emmanuel. The Emmanuel, the God with us, that is the alternative to the world, now comes into focus and into, into picture, but not through Jesus at the beginning of Matthew chapter 3. It comes through the last prophet, John the Baptist. And what we find out very quickly in Matthew chapter 3 is that there is an alternative. There is an alternative to the way we live. There is an alternative to the ways of the world. There is an alternative to how we set our goals and our resolutions and how we view what could be in a new year in particular. We come out of the birth story and into life itself. But the life that we were expecting is not the life that we are introduced to in Matthew chapter 3, at least not initially. It's John the Baptist. And what Scripture wants us to know about John the Baptist is, is he has a message. And I want to pay attention to that message this morning. Matthew 3, the first two verses. In those days... John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was this. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And that is the alternative. This message, this message, this preaching message that John the Baptist has fully bought into, but has wholly lived out into his life, because we find out more about who John the Baptist is in the following verses. He's an eccentric man. He wears camel hair for clothing, leather belt, and he has a peculiar taste in bugs. His choices might give us pause, if not be fully abrupt when we pay attention to them. But John the Baptist has a message of an alternative way of living life. That one, it doesn't have to be anxiety-filled, anger-filled, decisiveness-filled. It is a life filled with a picture that you and I do not control. It is the picture of God's kingdom. Repent, he says, and turn to God. Why, John? For the kingdom of heaven is near. The alternative is not what I believe 
ought to happen or look like. The alternative is God's kingdom. It is not my life building. It is his kingdom altering message. And it begins with repentance. Repentance. Now I want to I want to pause with repentance for a moment and I want to put us on on the same page with repentance. Because this is one of those um, this is one of those words and depending on your history and, and your history with the church and depending on where your background lies, you may hear that word and you may have negative connotation to repentance. Because what does repentance do? Often what we believe or have uh, generally believed over time with repentance is that repentance is going to bring regret and remorse in our life. We're going to feel bad. And what do we try to do in our lives? We try to avoid feeling bad. And so repentance, well, when we hear the preacher start talking about repentance, we start preparing ourselves to feel bad. Because some of us have experienced sermons that have made us feel bad to make us repent, to force us into repentance. But repentance isn't. It is not about remorse and regret. It has, a, it has that in place. It's a part of it, but it's not simply so that we can feel bad. Repentance is not to feel bad, but to think differently. John the Baptist's message is not one to bring us down and make us feel bad and, and live and, and wallow in the remorse and the regret of our life. John the Baptist's kingdom message is for, for God's people to begin to think differently than the ways of the world, than the culture and society around them. Repentance acknowledges what once was does not have to be any longer. That the picture that we want is not the picture necessarily of God's kingdom, of Jesus. That the puzzle pieces are not based on if I can put them together. It is wholly and solely based on Jesus himself. Repentance isn't, isn't designed for a wallowing of remorse. It is designed for us to begin to think differently, and therefore live differently. And this is why the alternative must begin in repentance. We must be people who acknowledge who we are. People who acknowledge what has happened or what we have done. Acknowledge the sin that stands between us and our Creator. Acknowledge that there is an alternative to us just wallowing in defeat of the puzzle pieces that are before us and to know that God's kingdom can bring us together. The kingdom of heaven that John preaches, the kingdom of heaven brings opportunity. And that's where we are in a new year, isn't it? Opportunity. Repentance brings about opportunity, not to simply feel bad, 
or to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and to move on. No, repentance brings us into kingdom vision, kingdom focus, Jesus-centric living this very day. And that is the good news. Repentance is good news. God's people ought to be people who embrace repentance, not because it makes us feel bad, because it brings about an alternative. It brings about newness. It brings about holiness. It brings about God himself. It brings about his son, Jesus. And repentance, what happens? We turn to God. Repent from your sins. Acknowledge who you are. Understand who you are away from God. But then what, John? Turn to God. Repentance is a movement towards God. And yes, we may move away from the sin in the past and the choices that we made in our past, but it is more than that. It is a walking towards. It is a sprint towards. It is a movement towards God himself. That is the good news. John the Baptist preaches good news, and he wants us to understand that when we repent and we turn towards God, we are turning towards something perfect and good and pleasing and sweet. Um, I don't think this makes us unique, but my kids love ice cream. And the holiday season has filled our freezer with ice cream. And so I've heard more in the last couple of weeks and than I've heard in a long time. Every, every day, every night, can we have ice cream now? Can we have ice cream now? We found this, um, I don't even know what it's called. But we call it Grinch ice cream because it has a green coloring to it. Some holiday ice cream, bluebell ice cream. And so I just hear, can we have ice cream now? Can we have ice cream now? And what it reminds me of is like many of you, you like ice cream and you would choose ice cream and you would go towards ice cream. If you have opportunity to get ice cream, more times than not, you're going to say yes to the ice cream. But if you had another choice, if you had a choice, now this, I'm going to fill in my blank, but your, your filling might be different. But if someone offered me a pickle, I might just lose it. They're disgusting. They're vile. They smell horrible. And they really make my stomach turn. And so if the option was ice cream or pickle, I'm choosing ice cream, by the way. And if you offer me pickle or pickle, I'm choosing neither one because I find it disgusting that you would even dare put that in your mouth. And we often think of repentance in this way. Okay, silly illustration, but think of it this way. Why would we want to go towards something that's, that's vile and disgusting and makes our stomach turn? God has never once asked you to do something that is disgusting or horrible or to take something that makes your stomach turn to come towards him. He's offering the ice cream. Repentance isn't something, some bad medicine that you have to swallow every now and then or have to swallow into your baptism. No, repentance is the ice cream because it is God's presence before us. It is the good stuff. It is the sweet stuff. It's the stuff that we long for in life. Because in repentance, we acknowledge that we are not God. 
I'm not God. I am not the creator of my own life or the universe around me, and I cannot make the picture on the puzzle pieces what I want them to be. You and I know with great hope on January 3rd, each of us have for 2021, you and I know as individuals, as families, and especially as a church, we will face great, uh, great diversity, great troubles. There will be bad days, hard days. There will be things in our picture that we did not look forward to nor ask for. We know this is a reality and this is a truth. In the message and the alternative to knowing life is not always going to go the way we want is John the Baptist's lifelong message of preaching, repent and turn towards God because the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven walks with us. The kingdom of heaven is upon us. The kingdom of heaven is the alternative. And repentance is where we begin. So Matthew continues. And I want to pick up in Matthew um, 3, verse 13. John the Baptist begins to baptize his message of repentance in the kingdom, but his message is that baptism coming from the one who is to come, the Savior, that is Jesus, will bring a baptism of the Spirit. And so what we find out is Jesus ushers in a new way, a new life. The alternative is newness through Jesus. This is the sweet offering to which God gives us in this message. It is the thing that we can turn towards, run towards, be with. It is the goodness of an alternative way of living out and living and being God's people in this world. And so here's our introduction to the grown Jesus. Matthew 3, verse 13. Jesus went to Galilee, to the Jordan River, to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. Verse 16. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. The kingdom of heaven does not come by our resolutions. Our works, our efforts, our goals. Jesus ushered in something new and exciting and spirit-filled. And the very first time we see Jesus in action is of importance to note. It's Jesus being baptized. And John 
John even acknowledges that Jesus, you are the Lord, you are the Messiah, you are from God, you are Emmanuel that we just read about in the previous chapter. I should be baptized by you, not the other way around. But Jesus chooses baptism to usher in a new way of life. You see, Matthew's not concerned if we need to know if Jesus needs to be baptized or not. That's not what Matthew worries about. What Matthew worries about in telling this story is that you know that Jesus chose baptism because he chose the Spirit of God. That Jesus turned towards his Father. In life and in death, Jesus continues to do this, but it begins and it ends with baptism. The heavens open up and God speaks because the Spirit is now upon him, because Jesus' life is now made new in the waters of baptism. Jesus ushered in a new way of life where we don't have to live in death. We don't have to live towards something that will end. We don't have to live in frustration. We don't have to live in anxiety. We don't have to live in fear. We can live in newness and new life and new hope because the Spirit of God is now with us through Jesus Christ. And so I want to end with a question. Many of you like in our household, or working on those resolutions and those goals, and you're getting ready for a new year in many different ways. But the question that we must be asking ourselves, the question we need to answer for ourselves as individuals and as a church, does your kingdom end in death or life? Are you putting a puzzle together that will ultimately end in death, that will ultimately be thrown out, that will ultimately be put up? Or is the kingdom you live for and work towards and strive in, is it a kingdom that's filled with life? Many of you in this room have been baptized into God's Spirit. Some of you in this room are thinking about it, and some of you maybe have never even considered what it means to be baptized. I think in many ways, baptism is the choice for life everlasting. It is the choice to die to the ways of this world, to the standards of this world, to not look at life as, as something that we just have to work towards and run towards and, and build. It's not, life is not just puzzle pieces that we get to manipulate and fix the way we want. Life isn't lived through a lens of blue or red or even green. Life is lived through life and the choice that this world does not hold the end game for us. It is Jesus. It is God. It is Spirit that does. In baptism, we live. We live today, we live tomorrow, and we will live every day after for the rest of eternity. And in repentance, we understand that it's not death that holds us, it is life. It is life everlasting. It's life raised new. And so if you are baptized... 
We need to be reminded to live into that life, kingdom life. If you're thinking about baptism, you need to ask your answer for yourself. Will your kingdom end with death or in life? And if you've never thought about baptism, I want you to ask yourself and dwell on this life at the center of who you are. Last thing, I saw this picture over the holidays somewhere online. It's a movie theater. Remember those things? This movie theater was going to show the Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life, but notice right under it, it's canceled. Which in of itself is just a funny picture because It's a Wonderful Life, canceled. Just made me laugh. But it's also uh, quite true, um, at least how we perceive things. I think kingdoms that end in death look at a picture like this and we say, yeah, you know what? 2020, what a waste. Right? That wonderful life I had planned this time last year, canceled. But life, life in the kingdom, life that begins in repentance, life that looks and runs towards God, life at the center of who we are in our baptisms, life that says no to this world, dies to this world, and lives through God alone, doesn't see a wonderful life canceled. It sees eternal life, everlasting, always and every day. We are people of life. We are a church of life. This kingdom, this message that John preaches is a kingdom message of life. And I wonder, will you choose life today? If there's a need of any kind, let's stand together. Let's sing one final song together in this place.